Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Backdoor Cover with your hosts, IBS Jesus and Keith Fleming. Keith, so there? IBS, yeah, yeah, man, how you doing? I'm feeling very good right now. I'm feeling pretty good. I had a few cocktails. <laughs> yeah, a few cocktails. Just a few, man. Just a few celebratory cocktails because when you get on a podcast two weeks in a row and you tell people this is what you need to do, when you put $1,200 on the Chiefs to cover and they're down 21 nothing or 24 nothing, you look at your phone, you go to Sweet Frogs, you come back and they're up 28 to 24. You can do that. You can go get drunk on a Wednesday night. Absolutely. And we had a really good week last week. We both went 3-0-1 on the podcast. The Seahawks-Packers game was the only one that uh, was a push. We won all three of the other games. You hit a uh, teaser. I hit the Titans money line. Uh, It was a good week if you listen to the podcast. So let's real quickly go over the uh, NFL games, and then we'll get to the conference title games this weekend. Uh, The Niners just dominated the Vikings. There's not really much else that needs to be said about that other than the Niners are really good. Uh, The Titans kind of did the same thing to the Ravens. The discussion coming out of that game is all about Lamar Jackson. Uh, The Texans-Chiefs game was one of the wildest games I've ever seen. Uh, and I, I now actually know what you mean when you say Bill O'Brien is trash because trash. Uh, I truly felt when they were down 24 to nothing, like I felt like they're going to come back and win, especially when they kicked the field goal instead of going for it on fourth and inches. And uh, I did think that they would have the lead going into the half, which they did not. Uh, and then the Packers won in a uh, pretty sloppy game. That's how all their games are. Seahawks made a very nice uh, run at the end, and uh, you know that's what led to the push. So we're going to have those two pretty good conference titles games this week. Is there anything you want to say about those games before we uh, get into this week weekend's games? Packers in over their head. They don't want it with us. Go away. And Rogers is trash. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> now, actually, I don't really have anything to say uh, in regards to the conference championship games just yet. I want to point out a couple things about last week. Uh, one, Bill O'Brien does suck, and and I said that on if I can if I can cross promote, I said that on our podcast um, with me and Ronnie that Bill O'Brien is the worst coach in the NFL with talent. Second, or actually the second worst coach, I think Sean McDermott is the worst coach with talent. But Bill O'Brien and him are neck and neck, uh, and we saw what it looks like when they tag team and, and, and match up against each other. It's just a uh, contest of who can do it worse. Um, with that being said, um, he belongs in IBS. He should not be an NFL coach. I think it's a travesty, um, and it's not a race thing at all. He's just honestly just a terrible coach. Um, I thought the 49ers looked good. I think we both predicted that accurately. Uh, a healthy 49ers team against a Vikings team that was kind of nicked up anyway coming in on a short week. It was a no-brainer. Um, again, we, we both, well, you were more adamant about the Titans with the upset. I was more reluctant, but also noted that they too could also be the upset alert. If you were going to play an upset, that would be the game. 
I did not expect the Titans to come out and punch the Ravens in the mouth like and the Ravens not respond whatsoever. Um, and again, if you want more analysis on that, you can check out the podcast from last Sunday where I kind of broke down just basically Greg Roman and, and how he blinked when he had his moment. And then lastly, I mean, the Chiefs, man, I'm, I'm, my future props right now are the Chiefs at 4-1 to one and the Niners at 10-1 to one to win the Super Bowl. So God help you all, the Chiefs and Niners <laughs> meet in the Super Bowl, okay? If you think I'm drunk now, I'm on ham, <laughs> man. I'm, I'm going to be on some other stuff. I might as well just be sprawled out Wolf of Wall Street style outside of a I'm, – I'm, I can't afford the actual uh, butterfly doors, but I'll be in a rental drunk somewhere in, in somebody's valet parking because the Niners or Chiefs hit. So God bless America. God help you all if that actually hits. And God help you if you get a hold of some loot. So uh, the one thing I want to say that is sad is I hate that this is the end of the NFL season. We just saw LSU uh, with another great performance. College football is over. Uh, I go through this every year where it's like I don't – I'm kind of in denial until it's over. But, I mean, it's there. We got, what, three games left and football's over for – six, seven months, so I'm not thrilled about that, but uh, let's get to the conference title games. The Titans are at the Chiefs. The Chiefs are right now giving, depending on where you see it, seven to seven and a half points. Line start at seven. I've seen it up as high as seven and a half. The over-unders, 52. This is one of two rematches this week. The Chiefs lost 35-32 in week 10. That was kind of an interesting game. Tannehill, I think it only started, I don't know if it was his first or his second start. I know that was Mahomes' first game back. Uh, it was also, I believe, uh, Hill's first game back, uh, if not his second game back from his injury as well. So these teams are a lot more healthy and a lot different. Uh, who do you like this week in that game and, and why? Man, it's really hard to to cap this game because the um, – the gambler in me um, stresses that you have to – I think I said this um, prior to the playoffs. When we get into these situations where you have a team that's hot and coming into the postseason, it's like the perfect scenario. The Titans check all the boxes of a hot team that's making a run to the Super Bowl. And it's not just because they went on the road and beat the Patriots or they went on the road to beat the Ravens, but they do it the old-fashioned way. They play solid defense. They run the ball. They manage the game. You do not score on Tennessee because they don't allow you to convert third downs in the red zone, and they don't allow you to actually get in the end zone. The Baltimore Ravens were the best team in the red zone or a top three team in the red zone. They had 500-plus yards, 12 points, 12 points. And I put emphasis on the P because that's ridiculous ridiculous. So you have to give them credit, but if there was one team that could crack that code, I would say it would be the Kansas City Chiefs right now. They are running hot, super hot, but it is a contrast of styles. I think historically the Titans have covered the number against the Chiefs. Um, I've, I've rode the Chiefs for the last month or so, maybe even longer on covers, but I think that this particular game makes me a little nervous and I'm leaning, leaning strongly to Tennessee covering, but the Titans, I mean, um, but the Chiefs uh, still winning outright. Yeah, I, you know, I've been touting the 
the Titans from the get-go. I liked them in the week one matchup versus the Pats. I liked them in the week two matchup versus the Ravens. Both of those were good matchups for them. I'm not so sure this is. I still fear that if they get behind early, say, 10 or 14, and we know Mahomes and the Kansas City offense can do that, are they going to be able to be effective if, you know, Tannehill has to carry more of the load? It needs to be said, though, Derrick Henry had 23 carries for 188 yards and two touchdowns in in the Week 10 matchup. So considering he's had three straight games of 180 yards rushing, He's the first player in the history of the NFL to do that. Over those three games, he's averaging 32 carries, 196 yards, and he's had four touchdowns. Uh, they defeated, uh, or excuse me, they defeated the best two pass defenses uh, in the NFL, but they beat them by running the ball. Uh, an interesting stat, and I don't think it means a lot, but I did see this. Then I mean, you do need to pay attention to this. To me, is teams after scoring 50 points in the playoffs are one and six uh, in the next round and one of six or one and six against the spread. They've only averaged 15 points a game after scoring 50. So it's like they have this burst of points where everything goes right. And then, you know, the next week it doesn't. But for all those reasons, I still like Kansas City in this game. Uh, it's like my, my brain's trying to tell me that, you know, the Titans are the pick. You're getting seven to seven and a half with a team that just went into Foxborough, went into Baltimore, and both won. But I just think that it is set up so well for Kansas City this year. They got the easiest matchup possible in the divisionals. They got, in my opinion, the best possible matchup for them in the conference championship. And I mean that because of the styles. The Titans are a very good team. But I just – they were not great against the pass most of the year. Their defense has been fantastic in the two postseason games. They've averaged 12.5 points compared to 20 uh, in the regular season. The 53% completion percentage in the uh, playoffs compared to quarterbacks having 64% in the regular uh, season and a passer rating of 61 in the playoffs compared to 90. But if we're being 100% honest, Tom Brady is not Tom Brady anymore. He's in his 40s, and Lamar Jackson is not still a great, great thrower of the football. So I don't think that they faced anything like this offense since their defense has been playing this well and even in the first game, Hill had 11 catches for 157 yards. Kelsey had seven for 75. They have so much speed on so many other, you know, places of the field. And they're at home. That place is going to be rocking. I think they're actually going to believe it, that they're going to win, like the crowd, unlike last year when they had New England come in. And, you know, I don't care who you are. If New England's coming to town, you don't feel too confident. So I'm right now saying I would take the Chiefs even though my brain is telling me if you're getting seven, seven and a half for the team like the Titans that are that good, you should normally take it. So check me out. Um, last three games, which would potentially be Patrick Mahomes starts, um, the Chiefs, I mean the Titans are 3-0. and um, Obviously they came into all three games as dogs. Uh, the last or November they were 5.5. Um, underdogs, they were at home and they won by three. Uh, January 6th of 2018, they were 8.5 underdogs. And is that right? January 6th, 2018? I guess that is right. They were 
I don't know. I don't feel like that's wrong. No, that is right. So January 6, 2018, I think there was an Alex Smith game. Um, but they were eight and a half underdogs, um, and they won outright 22-21 at home. Uh, in 2016, um, they won 19 to 17 in a December game uh, as six-point underdogs. So I guess it's not too much to say uh, in regards to um, past trends. But I will say this, um, they have the style to control the clock, to really dictate the pace of the game. But with a team like Kansas City and the way they're clicking offensively, um, Tyreek Hill came out today and said that he feels like nobody can cover them. I have to agree, man. I mean, like he Mm -hmm. said, they're not that great against the pass. Um, We just saw Lamar Jackson put up 300-and-something yards on them passing. And people can say that's garbage uh, some of that's garbage stats. That game was two scores. Two scores. That is not garbage time type numbers. Like to me, garbage time type numbers are when a team's like up like four scores or something like that, and they're in cruise control. Like Tennessee still had to fight a little because at any given time, one big play would have kind of you know determined whether or not they got to go for it or, or or whatever. But they lost. They won by sixteen. They won by sixteen. And the guy had 500 yards of offense. He threw for 365 yards on 59 passes. If Lamar Jackson can do that, what is Patrick Mahomes going to do? If if Hollywood Brown can go for seven catches and 126 yards, what is Tyreek Hill going to do? You know? Like, it, it concerns you. It concerns you. Um, and I... Again, think that taking the seven and a half is okay for right now. I would have to do a deeper dive, kind of see where people are playing it. But it's it's one of those games where you're stuck between going with your gut, which tells you that the hottest team is going to cover, or going with what you see, and that is that the Chiefs are practically unstoppable right now offensively. And and I said last week that I thought there was four elite teams left. It was the Niners the Chiefs, the Ravens, and unfortunately for the Ravens, the Titans. And it was a really bad matchup for the Ravens. I think it's the same deal here. I think the Titans are very, very good. And I don't care what happened in week 10. That was Patrick Mahomes' first week back. They still put up plenty of points. The offense was cruising. And I guarantee you Mahomes is feeling better now than he did that first week back after, you know, pretty significant injury. Uh, And I just think it's a bad matchup for the Titans. So, in the NFC, we have the Packers at the Niners. Again, depending on where you see it, I have it, I've seen it at seven to seven and a half. Uh, it's another line that started at seven and moved up to seven and a half. Uh, these two teams also met in the regular season. I forgot all about this game, and it wasn't that long ago. I think it was like week 12 or 11, uh, where the Packers just got jumped on. Rodgers fumbled early. It led to a quick San Francisco touchdown. They jumped on them, ended up winning by more than 20. Uh, who do you like in this matchup? Packers soft. I ain't worried about them, man. Niners come out and play their game. They should win. I mean, honestly, if the Niners lose, it's their fault. Like, this is a game for them to win. Uh, we match up stylistically with the Packers um, in all assets and the fastest of the game in my mind. We have the better coach. We have the better defense. We have the better front in regards of blocking as well as um, 
the uh, defensive front. I will say that the Packers pass rush is underrated. I stated that on the podcast with Ronnie uh, last week as well. Uh, I think it's Preston Smith. He does concern me a little, but it's not anything we can't scheme around. And I think that's ultimately where the Niners hold the the, um, real advantage is in the scheme. Like Kyle Shanahan is working magic. And I'm not saying that because I'm a fan. I'm saying that because I love offense. I love the way – uh, people can execute game plans on both sides of the ball in regards to coaching, and there is not a coach in the game right now that is more in sync with his team's strengths and weaknesses on the offensive side of the ball than Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan got a fullback in 2019. He got a fullback open 30 yards down the field. I keep going back to that play because that is incredible. One, people don't use fullbacks anymore. Two, this man not only used the fullback but got him wide open 30 yards down the field. You got to give him credit. Um, I think Kittle's due for a big game because he was kind of quiet in the last game against the Vikings, but I think their game plan was to kind of silence him, and Debo and Daniel Sanders have shown that they can step up in his absence and make plays. Um I think our running game is on point. And the one thing that I do like that we do best is when we do get a lead, we can um, still control the clock and also continue to put up points. We're forcing turnovers. It's it's a everything is just check, check, check for the 49ers in my mind. I think we cover. I, I think we blow them out again. And it's not anything against the Packers. I just think that we stylistically match up well against them. And I'll be very disappointed if this game is tighter than what the spread says. I The only thing I want to say right off the bat, because I, I actually have been going back and forth on this game when we did the post-divisional uh, round uh, podcast with, with RC. He was shocked that I said I actually would be less surprised if the Packers pulled off the upset than I would be about the Titans. Because I just think that that matchup with the Chiefs offense versus the Titans, they have to play a very specific game to win. I mean, the Packers do as well. It's just the fact that Aaron Rodgers made some throws in the you know second half of that game that I, I haven't seen him make in a long time. I didn't know he could still make under that kind of pressure. And he is one of those guys that just if he gets crazy hot, uh, and especially if he gets started early, it could be a game. And then you have the, the deal of it's Aaron Rodgers versus Jimmy Garoppolo. And the longer it's a game, I just – I like – Aaron Rodgers in that matchup but I will say the more I read about this this week so you know there's the old saying that you if you play a team again in the playoffs you had a regular season matchup it's usually more of a coin toss and it you know you have a little bit of information both teams do but in the 17 games that there has been a rematch where a team has lost by 20 or more the team that lost by 20 or more is 3 and 14 in those playoff rematches. Against the spread, they're 5-12. and 12. That's not good. Uh, Rodgers was sacked five times in their Week 12 matchup. His numbers, like he was great in the playoff game, but the first half of the season, he was, he was pretty good. He was averaging about 24 completions a game, throwing for just under 300 yards. Second half, that dipped closer to 60% and 245, 250. That's not going to get it done against this complete 49ers team. And I just – the defense is healthy. Kittle's had 100 yards and a touchdown, which you said in the previous matchup. When he plays well, they're so difficult to beat. 
And in the Week 12 matchup, it just needs to be said how much they were dominated. They lost 37-8. to It was also in San Francisco. They were outgained 339-198. to And the 49ers had 7.5 per, uh, points per play. The Packers had 2.8. That is a just a manhandling. I think this is a mismatch. The only thing that makes me hesitate about taking it, like just no hesitation, is the fact that you have Aaron Rodgers versus Jimmy G. But as you were just saying about Shanahan, I you know saw him as the offensive coordinator for two years as a Falcons fan. It's unbelievable the plays he draws up. We had uh, the year Ryan won the MVP, three tight ends, a fullback, and three different running backs all have uh, touchdown receptions. On top of all the receivers he hit, I think they hit 13 different players. He is the best guy in the league about getting guys open and running specific plays in the right situations to where it's just, I mean, walk in, and it makes Jimmy G look, I think, a lot better than he actually is. Uh, And I also would go ahead and, you know, give the points. Uh, And I'm sorry I didn't mention the over-under is 45. Uh, For the Chiefs-Titans game, I would take the under for that 52. And for the Packers-49ers game at 45, I would take the over. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm primarily during the playoffs just attacking spreads, but um, I would expect Aaron Rodgers would do enough to get him points on the board. Um, I I think as long as we have D Ford on the line, because he really does change that dynamic of that defensive line. Um, it it's hard to run against the Niners because Buckner is in the middle. Buckner is always graded really high against the run. Even when he was a rookie, he was by himself. Reek Armstead uh, also has always graded uh, ver- relatively high against um, the run, even though he's primarily viewed as a pass rusher. But D. Ford and Bosa on both sides, um, just they just complement each other too well. I, I, again, don't think the Packers have enough to protect Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers also likes to hold on to the ball a whole lot. And he's not athletic enough to get away from these guys on the edges. And so if they continue to get penetration and, and, and get some push, I think it'll make it difficult. And that's why I said, again, stylistically, I believe we match well against them. But it would be it would be a big disappointment. I'm not saying that the Niners are just going to walk away with it, even though I expect them to. Um, I would be very disappointed in Kyle Shanahan and this team if they get this far and they lose to what I believe is one of the worst good teams left in the league. And I've said that multiple weeks for the last two months, that the Packers are the worst good team left. So um, we have home field advantage. We've got um, consistency and tradition on our side in regards to the Packers don't travel well. Um, This should be a game that we win and cover. I, I I agree. So we're going to move on to some college basketball and NBA games. We're going to do something new because normally the lines are not out uh, for these games until the day of. Uh, you can sometimes find them some places, but obviously we're worried about injuries, guys that you know are going to miss the game, whatever, not coming out usually to the day of. So what we're going to do is basically I'm going to just kind of do an intro for a few games. I think I picked uh, three college games and three NBA games. And then what we're going to have you do, because you are the expert, is predict the spread. You're going to you're going to basically say what you think that spread's going to be at, and then we'll both give a pick 
at the line that you're giving. So okay. the first game is uh, – or I'm sorry, actually, we're going to have to skip that one because that game was the night. Sorry, I thought I forgot we had to reschedule. So Saturday we have number 11 Louisville at number three Duke. Duke is 15-1 and one on the season. They currently won nine in a row. They're including uh, a 5-0 and start in the conference since their shocking loss to SFA. Uh, they're eight and one at home. It was even more shocking considering they lost to them at home. Uh, they both won games against top 25 teams. Uh, Duke beat Kansas and Michigan State. Louisville came in at 13 and three. They're four and one in the conference, two and one on the road. They're two and one against top 25 teams, but they have lost. Uh, excuse me. They're one and two against top 25 teams, but they have lost. Every game against the top 25 opponents since their early win this season against Michigan. This includes uh, losses to Kentucky and FSU. Uh, Louisville uh, played Pittsburgh last night. Duke played Clemson. What do you think the line would be, and who do you like? Uh, <clears throat> you said Louisville at Duke, right? Yep. All right, Duke just lost to Clemson and Louisville. Just barely beat Notre Pittsburgh. Okay, I was going to say Notre Dame Pittsburgh. They kind of mesh, but barely beat Pittsburgh. <laughs> um, Louisville is definitely the better team, but they're going into Cameron. I feel like this would be a trappish line with Louisville being favored in Cameron, uh, possibly around two and a half to three uh, to open. Um, I would take a three and a half on Duke um, just because. They're in a situ. It's a situational play. You got conference. Uh, Duke just coming off of, of a disappointing loss against a, a fairly defensive team, and then Louisville not really having the offense to to challenge a, a Duke team if they get going. And typically they get going at Cameron. Uh, I'm sure if we looked at the stats, they probably average about 75 to 80 at Cameron and, and hold people to like 60-something points. And I think that's the type of statistics you need to, to beat a Louisville team. I wouldn't call it an upset, but I, I feel like it's a it's a textbook situation for a trap line from Vegas. Um, and to give you an idea of, of what a textbook trap line looks like uh, for Vegas, Auburn, the number four team in the nation, they're going into Alabama. They were favored by two, two and a half. So that low-hanging low hanging fruit is what I call it, but the low-hanging fruit on those lines is very tempting uh, for people who are not familiar with trends and, and current form. Alabama's had a lot of good showings at home, and Auburn has kind of skated by uh, from time to time uh, in the last, like, couple games. So it's one of those situations where Vegas kind of sets you up to take the points with the favorite who's ranked. And then next thing you know, the underdog covers, and, and they the favorite needs like a last-second bucket to win. So give me anything over um, three on uh, Duke. I'm with you at Duke at home. Uh, I, I, you know, this is probably the worst Duke team in quite some time too, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely in my mind, not – one of the more stout programs, especially coming off of a team that has Zion and, and Cam Reddish and um, R.J. Barrett, they're definitely going to look uh, like down. All right, so the the next game is Saturday, and I'm glad I included this because uh, they are undefeated right as the second, but 
as you were just saying, Auburn is actually down six right now in Alabama about halfway through uh, the second half. They are going to Florida. Uh, Auburn would come in if they can come back and win this game against Alabama, having won their first 16 games, including being uh, 4-0 in the conference, 3-0 and on the road. Florida is 10-5 and on the season, 2-1 and in the conference, and 5-1 at one at home. Auburn is yet to play a top 25 team. Florida has played FSU and Butler, who are both top 25 teams, but they lost to both of them. What do you think the line would be, and who would you like if it is that line? Uh, what was the game again? It's uh, Auburn at Florida. I think it's the, like, Auburn you know, 130 CBS game. Um, Considering Auburn's struggling right now, Ah, it's a little tricky. Um, Florida's kind of yeah. I would say they might lean to Florida being um like a two two and a half point favorite, uh, maybe three, on uh, Auburn, and more so because a lot of times in Vegas they they cater to the home defensive team, um to to come through, and another example of today's games um that might look similar as far as the line. Rutgers is a very good home team. Um, they have really a really good defense. Indiana has been winning games, so they came in as a three-point dog in Indiana to Rutgers, which is completely disrespectful to the Rutgers team, who's beaten some really good teams at home. Um, and I think Florida might find themselves in a situation like Rutgers, where it's like two and a half, three, maybe three and a half, and people will take the points with Auburn thinking like, oh, this will be a bounce-back game for them. But because of Florida's defense, um, it makes you question whether or not um, Auburn can really, you know, win this game. Now, another key indicator is something that people should look at, perimeter defense, because Auburn is up down the uh, court, but they also shoot shoot at a high clip. And I always considered Florida to be one of the premier defensive teams in the SEC, and um, I would, at home, definitely favor them at anything under four. Would you uh, would you like Auburn more or less if they lost this game tonight? Um, I don't I don't read a lot into uh, conference losses of good teams, especially at this time of year. It's tough, man, and 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 the schedule is a little bit more grueling. Um, you you have to get up during like school hours, you know, like it's January fifteenth on a Wednesday. I'm sure they probably got work to do and stuff like that. And whether people realize it or not, they're still student athletes. Their, their schedule still right. consists of them having to attend school and work out and things like that. And then they have to travel to um, to Alabama. It's not like it's across the country, but still, um, these teams, especially when you have a number in front of your team and the other team doesn't, they get up for these games. And Auburn might not be able to get up uh, like they would want to for uh, Alabama um, or a Florida per se, and Florida and Alabama sensing blood in the water and needing wins will definitely give them their A game. So um, I wouldn't read into into it too much if Auburn loses here. Um, I still think they're one of the more underrated teams in the nation and uh, one of my favorites to uh, make it to the Final Four again. Bruce Pearl, man, he's a uh, 
He just keeps winning <laughs> everywhere he goes. They may be on this suspension in a couple of years, but uh, I mean, he really can coach and recruit. Yeah, because he gets guys yeah. that just you never heard of, and next thing you know, they're really good. Uh, let's go over a couple of NBA games Thursday night. Before, before we before we roll into yeah, NBA, go ahead. I just to your point, um, somebody in the group posted that Bruce Pearl is like the only coach who is either in the top five or has consistently been to the final four. And I think last year's team on his roster alone, I think the best they had was like a G league player and he coached them to the final four. That's incredible. And that's what his third or fourth team. Cause I know he did it with uh, what was the UW uh, was the U, where was his first small school with then Tennessee uh, and then now at Auburn, right? Or am I missing one? Uh, to my knowledge, I just remember him from Tennessee and uh, Auburn. I remember when they let him go at Tennessee, the coach they brought in behind him, people made a petition to bring Bruce back, and that coach ended up leaving. So that's that's why I remember him most. All right. So let's uh, – on Thursday night, the uh, NBA marquee game, Boston is going to Milwaukee. Uh, Milwaukee is an NBA best 35-6. and six. Giannis is just – Again, doing ridiculous things. I love that they're not playing him a ton of minutes. Uh, he's another serious, uh, you know, chance to be back-to-back MVP, win another MVP award. They also have uh, one of the best records at home. Uh, they're 18-2. and two. Boston comes to town. They're second in the East with a record of 27-11. and 11. They are 11-8 and eight on the road, so they're a much better team at home. Uh, but Milwaukee has yet to beat a team in the East in the top four standing. This includes an earlier loss to Boston. Uh, the Bucks should be able to expose the Celtics in the paint, uh, but they did not do that in their first matchup. They shot 12% less shots in the paint than they have been on the, uh, the season against other opponents. What, what do you put this line at, and who do you like? Um... It's that's one of those difficult ones. Um, it's the Bucks at Boston, right? No, I'm sorry. It's it's the Celtics at Milwaukee. All right, Celtics at Milwaukee. Um, Jason Tatum set out for something today. I'm not sure what it is. It's really hard to cap NBA games because people be sitting out for the most random reasons. I mean, LeBron missed the other night because he had a cold. Um, so right now they have the actually that line is out. So I want to hear you guess it, and I can actually tell you. I just saw right. that. I would that is out. say the line is probably like between six and eight for the uh, Bucks. So they must have an injury or something, because I'm shocked by this. It is even right now. Is even that's low, what? right? What? Yeah, I think that's, that's crazy. What? Um. The the Celtics haven't been that great on the road per se. Um, I I do know no, that they been have really more bad. Depth. They're eleven and they, eight on the road. Yeah, they do have more depth. Um, and Tatum day to day. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like Tatum's out. Um, I mean, shoot, I would probably jump on that right now. Maybe it's because Giannis has been dealing with his little back injury or something. But I don't I don't recall him missing any games lately. So. Um, I would jump on that now and take uh, Milwaukee there. That's a little wild to me. Then maybe yeah, they know something that I is, don't know. Uh, he is not on the injury report now. I mean, again, they lost to him earlier in the season, but that that shocked me. 
So, all right, let's move on to Friday. We have two of the more surprising uh, teams in the NBA. Uh, the Miami Heat are traveling to Oklahoma City. The Heat come in to Oklahoma, 27 and 12. It's third in the East. OKC is 23 and 17, currently seventh in the West, despite losing Russell Westbrook in the all season. A lot of people making fun of them for taking on Chris Paul. He's been really good this year. They have a legit chance to make the playoffs when many people thought this would kind of be a tank season and they try to unload Chris Paul at the trade deadline. What do you uh, have this line at and who do you like? All right. Uh, what was, what was the uh, tip again? It's, it's uh, the Heat at the Oklahoma City heat, Thunder. Heat at Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City's been rolling, man. Um, and their lines have been like Really low. Uh, let me look at today's game. Let me see what they got going on today. Have they started playing yet? They did. All right, so today when the Raptors came, it was like the Raptors were one-and-a-half-point dogs. Um, and the Thunder have looked like they, they're skidding just a little bit. Um, a trick to betting NBA, too, is you have to look at back-to-back games and things like that. So, I'm giving guesses on these teams not having back-to-backs. Um, I would say that the they neither might, one of them will they, have a back-to-back. Okay, just so you know, so they so might they, they, one they, they might they might dangle that one and a half to two points uh, on the road team being the Heat. Uh, I would carefully look at the matchups because. Um, Chris Paul's been balling, but but the defense is there for Miami to really challenge the Oklahoma City Thunder. And so any any points I can get with the Miami Heat, I'm going to take because I feel like they can outright win. And Oklahoma City is a much – I mean, that's a tough place to play at all times, right? And the Heat have been fantastic at home. I think they have the best record in the league at home. And obviously, they're, I think they're a game or two under 500 on the road. So that's the kind of thing where you might be getting points with a team that plays better at home against a team that, although they have a better record, if you look at the home away splits, you're getting a pretty good deal there, right, by getting points and getting the team that's at home against a team that's not been so great on the road. Yeah, typically if you're getting points um, with a team at home versus a team that's bad on the road, that's always a good trend. Um and then you also want to ultimately look at, like, matchups. And, and in the NBA, everything's superstar-driven. So if a team doesn't have a true go-to, um, which is why I've been kind of consistently fading the New York – I mean, the Brooklyn Nets. Without Kyrie on the floor, they don't have a closer. I mean, um, they got uh, – was it Dinwiddie or Din whoever the, the one guard is. Um, he, he puts up points, but he's not a closer. So they get good – three quarters out of everybody and then the fourth quarter comes and then they kind of fade and, and you get your cover so um i'm not scared at all of um low-hanging fruit in the nba line if i can get a superstar on that team all right so the last nba game we're going to do is the saturday marquee uh it's the los angeles lakers going to houston obviously the way they've been resting their players and with ad dealing with uh, an injury, and LeBron obviously finally, I think, looks like they're starting to understand they need to sit him a little bit more. But the Lakers are 33-7. Mm-hmm. and seven. 
They're leading the West. Uh, the Rockets are currently in fourth place. They're 26-12. and 12. Houston is 7-3 and three in their last 10 games, despite Jason, uh, James Harden has been struggling a little bit. Uh, the Lakers are 9-1 and one in their last 10 games, despite both LBJ and Davis missing some times. This is the first of three matchups between these two teams. And right now, if the seedings held, this would be the second-round matchup uh, over in the Western Conference Finals. What do you think the, the spread will be here, and who do you like? So LA's going to Houston? Mm-hmm. And it's the 8:30 game on Saturday. Oh, man. It's hard to say. Like, Kuzma and those dudes, I don't – question their focus sometimes, but I would say LeBron's going to play. I feel like Harden and them are going to get up for it. Um you're going to get points with the Lakers for sure. You're probably going to get between, without AD there, between four and a half, maybe five, I would think. Um, and in that case, you could take LA at your own risk, but just know that LeBron James is not going to give but so much effort against two superstars if he doesn't have somebody else out there to compliment him. Um, and then I would argue that the Lakers bench is better so with that five, it would definitely be tempting to take. And I mean, it needs to be said, right, that if you're taking Dwight Howard, who's had a great season, and obviously had to start him, uh, well, I guess they would start uh, McGee, right, and still bring uh, him off the bench. But he has, I mean, been crazy impressive lately. I think in their last win, LeBron had like seven assists just to. Uh, Dwight Howard, I think almost all of them were dunks. I, I have been amazed at just how good the Lakers have been, how long they are, and how good they are on defense. And most like games that I've watched them in this year, they just look like such a matchup problem uh, because of their length and speed. Uh, and, again, if, if LeBron's playing uh, and I'm getting four or five points, I'm, I'm going to take that because they, they seem to be taking uh, this regular season pretty seriously. I don't think many people thought the Lakers would be 33-7 and seven through their first 40 games. No, they they uh, definitely have been playing with some good good intensity over the last, like, month or so. Um, I think – actually, not even a month or so because there was, like, a, a time frame where they were – I think it was after Christmas, LeBron's groin was hurt and AD was like, oh, my leg hurts or something like that, but – uh, the last couple weeks, they've been playing with some good energy, and before that, they were winning games as well. Um, I think they're going to make a move, obviously, by All-Star break or the trade deadline to get somebody, maybe a Derrick Rose or somebody, to kind of booster that boost, uh, booster that bench just a little bit more. Um, but other than that, uh, the starting five and so forth, everybody seems to be playing together and playing good ball. Do they give Kuzma up to get that? Um, I mean, he insulted LeBron. Typically, those people don't make it, but I don't know. He's got he's got youth on his side, and when LeBron didn't play, he actually had a good game. So it all depends. If he kissed the ring, probably not. That's fair enough. So we're gonna uh, close up with the PGA Tour this week. They are in California for the American Express. It's the best way to describe it if you follow golf for a long time is it's basically the Bob Hope event. It's a pro-am event. 
It's played on three different courses. It uh, actually has a 54-hole cut. The reason they do that is because each player plays three different courses the first three days, and then they all play the host course, which is the La Quinta, uh, on Sunday. Phil Mickelson is the playing host. The five past winners of this event are Adam Long, John Ram, Hudson Swafford, Jason Duffner, God, I miss that name, and Bill Haas. Uh, the tour is coming off the back-to-back sudden death playoff winners, ending their Hawaiian swing. The tour has been just seriously better and more exciting and crazier than I can remember. It seems like every week uh, something nuts has happened near the end of the round. Somebody's not taking advantage uh, of a chance to win and then either winning in a playoff or going on to lose it. It's It's, it's good to watch. Uh, I broke down, I just did basically some long shots, guys I like, and picked a winner. Uh, do you want me to go over my guys first, or do you want to go first? Uh, you go ahead. All right. So the two long shots I like, uh, Vaughn Taylor is at 60-1. to 1. Uh, I don't completely understand uh, those odds. He's, he's in really good form. His last three starts, uh, he's finished 12th, 10th. And second, he has a tied seventh, uh, I think, here in 2018, so he does have some success. When you have a guy on that kind of form, uh, to me, at 60 to 1, it's worth throwing a little money on. Same can be said for Bud Cauley. He is 66 to 1. He leads the field on strokes games at Lakenta Course, which is where two rounds will be played uh, for at least having seven starts at that golf course. He is coming off a missed cut. He had a tied night before that. And then here's the big thing I like about it is he was tied third here in 2017, mixed with a tied 14th in 2016 and 2018. He did miss the cut last year. He was having some injury issues or coming off of it. So uh, I like the fact that he's both, uh, you know, played well on the golf course. He's also had, some serious success there. That's three top 15s and three out of the last four years he's played there. And again, you're getting them for 66 to one. Some of the guys I, I just like is uh, Sunju M. He is 18 to one. He finished uh, tied 12th last year in this event. That was his first time playing in it. He's coming off like four or five straight top 25s. He's still looking for his first win, but he just seems to always make the cut. He seems to always be in contention. And he has so much talent. And these guys that are, I mean, especially as young as him, when you're constantly there, eventually you're going to break through and win. And 18 to 1 is still not bad odds. Uh, I know you've been big on this guy. Another guy I really like is Scott Scheffler. He is 30 to 1. He has got huge talent. He's finished in the top 20 in his last three starts. Uh, he won three times last year on the Nationwide or Web.com or Corn Ferry, whatever they're calling it these days. Uh, before he moved up to the big boy tour, and he has had some success. He's very hot or cold, though. It seems like he either has it or he doesn't, but again, at 30 to 1. Uh, and then Mickelson at 40 to 1. I know this is kind of crazy. He hasn't played in quite some time. He's the host, so he's going to have a lot of other duties, but his best form has been in the last three seasons, those first couple of months, his first few events. He finished Todd second here last year. He won an event in the same kind of time period, early February. Uh, I think maybe being the host will actually motivate him 
to, you know, play harder and try to really put up a good showing. And he's fourth on strokes gained uh, career at this event. So that's really well. I also wanted to mention before I get to the winner that I have picked is just that this is a course that seven out of the last eight years, 20 under or better, has won this tournament. So you have to go low. Most of the guys that I've mentioned are guys that have that ability. And in that sense, the guy I'm actually picking is Paul Casey. He's 22 to 1. He leads the field in strokes gained, T to green over the past 50 rounds on tour. Basically, that means he's third. Uh, he's also, excuse me, third in opportunities gained. That basically means he gets the most birdie opportunities. I just said you need to go low to win here. Casey can. And it's also kind of the event that typically when you have this kind of scoring, there's a lot of guys in contention going into Sunday. There's the ability for somebody to shoot a 63-64 on Sunday, come back and win the tournament. Paul Casey is the king of backdoor top fives, backdoor mm-hmm. wins. So for all those things, I like him at 22-1. to 1. That's my uh, pick for being a winner. Who do you like in this tournament? Um. It's a tricky tournament to cap because I, I believe they play in multiple courses. So it's like one yep. side plays on one or one side plays on the other. Um, I think they're both relatively relatively par 72s. Um, so it's actually three courses. One of them they'll play three? twice. That's the LaQuinta. Okay. But there's actually three, and one of them is particularly harder. So be careful if you're doing versus bets that you know yeah. the players are playing the same course. Yeah, and I hate that. I absolutely hate that. Um, I like I'm gonna test the waters. Maybe I haven't fully capped it yet, and I've got to 11:30 um, tomorrow morning to to get my picks in. But um, I love these young guys. Um, I don't see Victor Hovland, so I got to go with the next best thing because I also don't see Colin um more Kanawa. So give me Matthew Wolf as one of my plays that I'm probably gonna look at. Um, just for the simple fact that going low will always be in play on this course, and, and I think he's had some good low numbers in some tournaments. Um, and then I'm a little off on Scotty Scheffler because the few times that I've I've seen him in contention, he doesn't seem to have that it factor just yet to close out a tournament. And people who backed Brendan Still last week, I – I pray for you. I made a Brendan Still error back in like 2018, and I kid you not. I'm pretty sure he might have. I might have lost to Webb Simpson, but I'm pretty sure this man was in the lead and lost shooting uh, one under. Like it was the most disgusting thing ever. But he just could not, for the life of him, close the tournament out. So um, people who watched last week probably felt the same way. Uh, but shout out to Cameron Smith, who is one of the hotter golfers on the European tour and just kind of snuck up on everybody um, in this particular tournament. I wish I'd have been paying more attention. I would have took him. Um, I don't like Phil because he's way too low at 33 to 1. <laughs> it just seems like a play that people would play because they know the name. I'm not feeling that at all. Um, See, I saw him at 40 to 1 in some places. Yeah. So you were hype on Vaughn Taylor? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I do like Vaughn, um, but let me also throw a shout-out to Jason Kokrak, who um, I want I want to see him take that next step. He had a really good year last year, 
And um, from what I've seen on the courses and stuff, seems like the type of course that he could he could really do some damage on. Um, I don't think he's in the best current form just yet. Like he's not the Jason Kokrak that that um, was in the uh, PGA Championship and stuff last year, but. I think he can definitely return to form a lot quicker than most people expect him to. And um, I would be willing to take a chance on him there. And then uh, long shots. Let me see what I got for long shots. Um, <laughs> Richie Reninsky? I don't know if anybody knows this guy or not, but I like Richie. I like Richie as a long shot in any tournament I can get because – Richie went low on a couple of tournaments that I was watching that nobody was paying attention to. He cast in top 20s. I can't tell you what his attributes were um, or what he's really good at other than that he can go low. <laughs> and if you're looking for a long shot in tournaments like this, especially with the courses, there being multiple courses, um, if there are chances to score low numbers, I've seen situations in these tournaments where a guy can get on the course that's easy and score really high. And then the weather comes into play on the next courses and he just wins because he scored high on that one good day. Um, so you, you could take that in consideration. This is a very difficult uh, tournament to cap, though. Very, very difficult. I agree. And, uh, I mean, some of the other guys that I've seen in places that people really like or Kisner obviously has been playing really well lately. He's kind of in the same boat, though, that I would do a top 10 play with him. I would not pick him to win. He just seems to not ever get it done. Tony Finau does not have a great track record here, but obviously, again, with the course, you need to go deep. He has as much firepower as anybody. But, again, he's another guy that seems to never be able to break through for that win. And then, you know, you have guys like Molinari, Kevin Na, those kind of dudes that, I try to stay away from, I mean, I just said it was 20 under and seven out of the last eight, you know, your guys that don't really have the ability to go low. It's tough, especially for like the Kevin Oz, uh, or even in some sense, the Kevin Kisners of the world to just keep throwing up 67s mm-hmm. and 66s, uh, because they just have to play so perfect, uh, to do that. So you definitely want to, you know, like I love the Matthew Wolf, uh, and Aaron Wise is another guy who, again, he's not been on form, but he has the power and the ability when he gets it going just to make so many birdies that, you know, I also uh, think is interesting. Uh, is there anybody else you want to mention on uh, this golf tournament before we close the podcast? No, because, um, again, I haven't fully capped it just yet. Um, maybe um, an oldie but goodie for a prop. Uh, would be my guy Harold Varner. Um, I'll just have to check it out first. But um, Harold Varner um, has been really good on courses that require wedges. Again, I haven't fully capped it yet, but um, his wedge play is really good. And he's at 66 to 1 right now on uh, my bookie. And if he's 66 to 1 to win outright, you're going to get value with him as a top 20 pick. And uh, he closed out the season last year. And it wasn't like a, a fluke. Like he consistently made top twenties uh within the last like two months or so. Like he was very, very consistent. So I would definitely keep an eye on him. Um another guy I like to uh keep an eye on for prop bets, Daniel Berger, um, who should be turning the corner eventually um on his play as well. I agree. 
Uh, and and good news for the world of golf and for me is Tiger is back, man, next week. I'm so excited, ready to see him play. Uh, <laughs> Go away, like Tiger. You always ruining my money. <laughs> and it's just, you know, it's just the President's Cup, but it's like, uh, I mean, it feels like it's been so long, and it's like he won the Zozo, then he, you know, had the, the, the great President's Cup performance, and then he went away for basically a month and a half, and I am really excited to see where this dude is this year. I feel like he was really figuring it out uh, really all of last year, except for the time that he was, I, I think, injured once he had the surgery uh, in that period before the Zozo. And then the way he played from that point on, I mean, it's hard to say that wasn't part of why he was, you know, looked so great at Augusta and, you know, shortly after and then kind of struggled through the summer. So I'm very interested to see him get it started. Uh, and obviously, anytime he's in an event, you're going to get more attention, more eyeballs, et cetera. So, uh, anything else you want to plug before we get out of here? Uh, no, other than just, you know, continue to support the brand. I saw Ronnie and Corey do their uh, Brother Where Art Thou podcast as well. Um, if, if you care to hear the banter um, between the two brothers, which is always entertaining, of course. It's funny. They're, so con- they're such a huge contrast in style. Um, and then I would assume we would maybe do something um, for the uh, conference championship games. Um, if not, I'll probably just go live, but, um, you know, support that. I was supposed to do an LSU article last week, and I got scared because I knew LSU was so good, and I just didn't want to put on paper that I'm picking Clemson because, I'm, you know, I made a future bet. Because <laughs> if I analyzed it, if I analyzed it, and I told Ronnie this as well, and I might have said it on the podcast last week, but there was no conclusion that I could come up with from an analytical standpoint that pointed to Clemson. But from a gambling standpoint, I was willing to make an argument that Dabo um, deserved to be there, that Sunshine was 25-0, and 0, and that taking the points with the national championship at six and a half was perfectly fine. Um, and like I said, that was from a gambling standpoint. But from an analytical standpoint, I didn't give Clemson much of a chance. And what was, you know, funny was that was what played out for most of the first half. And then it was like once LSU figured it out and Burrow really started, you know, getting going. And, I mean, honestly, Clemson had their opportunities. They just – Lawrence was a little bit uh, sloppy, honestly, for the times I've seen him uh, on a big stage. He missed a a couple of key passes and – uh, I mean, I just uh, – you can't say enough about LSU. You know, Scott, who I did the uh, the other golf cup podcast with, is a huge LSU fan, so he's, he's on cloud nine right now. But you can't take anything away from him as one of the greatest seasons ever. They beat seven top ten teams. Uh, and, I mean, they just housed some really good teams down the stretch. I mean, they played Georgia basically in or in Atlanta. Uh, and they, you know, smoked uh, Oklahoma. They smoked – uh, Clemson, and you know, it just they just seemed to keep getting better as the season went on. And uh, 60 touchdowns by Joe Burrow against the teams he played is incredible. And then I, I will say, please, on Sunday night, uh, me and RC will be doing a, another recap of the conference championship. We've done the last two weeks, we did a recap after the wild card and also the divisional. So please check that out. Please support the IB brand. Uh, please join the Facebook group, and we will see you next week for another edition of the Backdoor Cover. Peace out.
Adiós.